Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Twenty twenty four, the year of recession, the year of international war, the year of an insane presidential election, or twenty twenty four, the year of abortion. Two, how about them cowboys? And an update on Maui. Three, Harvard stands with anti semitism. Harvard stands with tribal power. Harvard stands with its president, Claudine Gay. It's the Will Cain Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to Wednesday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. That means leave a comment or leave a five-star review. You can always email in to the Will Cain Podcast at Podcast at Fox. Dot com, And you can watch this show on Rumble or on YouTube. I need your help. I'm suffering from a lack of creativity, and I'm suffering from a lack of execution. We've talked in the past. I'm often all talk. I'm watching this movie off and on on Amazon Prime. It's called The Homesman, Tommy Lee Jones, Western. I'm a sucker for a Western, and somehow this one had escaped my attention. I rank Westerns probably at number one in my favorite movie genre, followed closely by bank robberies, then general action, and at number four, war. But I was watching this movie, The Homesman, and there was a scene where a man says to a woman, you've got every competency that you need. You're as good as any man. Just get to doing And there was something about the way this movie was written that reminded me that words are cheap. That's quite literally a line from the movie. And although it's a cliche, it's true. Words are cheap. Life is in the execution. And even though it's also a cliche, in fact, a brand for Nike, just do it. Get to the doing. But I need your help. I need some creativity in getting to the doing and moving beyond theory and moving beyond hypotheticals and moving beyond words. My oldest son is approaching 16. And I would like to have him get a car, not just through entitlement. I would like him to learn some lessons. I would like him to earn a car. Now, the way that this life has been structured with such an emphasis on sports and on school. There hasn't been a lot of time in his life to go get a job. And I have to appreciate that I did not put him in a position to go earn some money. The easiest and most creative way to earn a car, earn some life lessons, would be to go get a job. And maybe I would have some kind of matching program for every dollar you earn. I match it equal or 
multiple of three so that you can, over some reasonable period of time, buy your own car. But I'm all talk. Words are cheap. And I haven't been able to execute that in life. There's been no big summer job. There's no after school job. There's no weekend job. There's simply school and sports. But I would still like to use this opportunity not to reinforce entitlement, but to learn a few life lessons. And I've been thinking about what can you learn? Well, the first thing that you learn that you would have learned through work is the value of a dollar. You would have learned that money has meaning. If somebody else is always paying for something and you get some version, even a less version of your desire, it never really emphasizes to you the money that was spent. And by extension, the money is time and time is effort that somebody spent on getting you a car. So I would love for him to learn the value of money. I was also thinking I would like for him to learn some skill in negotiation. So I thought maybe I will have him participate in the negotiation, the purchase of this car. And in general, I would like him to learn economic lessons like depreciation, resale value, but also taking care of something, maintenance, oil change, the cost of an accident, gasoline. So while I have lost the opportunity to put this through the filter of work, I'm, I'm holding on to the hope that I haven't lost the opportunity for these greater life lessons. And I've thought about how I can structure this moment, him turning 16, to create these life lessons. But I'm suffering from a lack of creativity. I've thought about, okay, here's a budget. I will give you X. We will then go shop for a car that fits your mother and my safety requirements. I would say gas mileage, but I want that to be part of the life lesson learned. I want him to have a budget. And I was thinking, if I give him a fixed amount to buy a car, if he can't find something that fits his taste and desires and our requirements when it comes to safety, well, then he's going to have to borrow above and beyond whatever he may want. And then he may have to pay me back. Or I thought in, to incentivize a lesson of prudent financial stewardship, I want him to look at cars or learn or go through the process of looking at cars that retain value. We've talked about, for example, Toyotas, Tacomas, and Forerunners at a much higher level. Land Cruisers retain a ton of value. So you don't lose money or as much money. And we're not going to hold on to it long enough for it to become vintage. So I doubt we will make money on the back end. So I'm trying to creatively come up with some kind of program that incentivizes him to learn the value of a dollar through depreciation, through lower maintenance costs. And I, and I keep circling around and not capable of putting my fingers on exactly what I want. And if I give him a fixed amount and he doesn't go down the path of, well, I want a truck with big tires, if he just chooses something really smart and prudent, say he finds something for, you know, three quarters of X, do I let him keep the remainder of the fixed amount I'm willing to spend on the car? And then you can take that money and you can do what you like. You can spend it if that's what you want to do. You can invest it. And maybe you can learn on the back end the true value of a dollar and what a dollar can become if it's treated correctly. But I'm at a loss. I need your help. Maybe it's because I'm no longer on nicotine. I just can't come up with it. Lost focus. 
By the way, that's all going swimmingly. Well, fairly swimmingly. I'm like two weeks in. I'm no longer moody. Still want it here and there. I do notice I've replaced it with other vices, meaning I've had a drink, just like an end-of-the-day drink more often than I was having an end-of-the-day drink. I'm not doing it every night. I'm not doing it that often. But I'm still more open to the idea than I was when I was just having a Zen after dinner. Even sugar, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want some dessert. I just need something. There's got to be some ceremonial reward to the end of the day. It's just like my body is calling out for other little vices in place of the vice it was forced to sacrifice. But other than that, it's all going swimmingly, and I will wring those vices out over time. I'll get rid of sugar, and I'm not worried about the alcohol. It's not, it doesn't call to me quite enough. So I'll be able to walk away from that as well. Now, nicotine is the one that was hard to walk away from, and it had its benefits and focus. So I can't come up creatively with the idea. And I would be curious, anything you did with your son or daughter at 16, besides just get a job, I'll match, or you buy your own car, is there any other structure that any of you came up with that I should pay attention to that might be interesting and creative to help him learn these greater life lessons? Will Kane podcast at fox.com. We'll be right back with more of the Will Kane podcast. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you it's the nation's largest home services. Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Story number one, 2024, not the year of economic recession, not the year of international war, not the year of an insane presidential election. We're hearing the first rumblings. We're seeing the first inclinations that instead 2024 will be the year of abortion. Kate Cox is a 31-year-old woman 
in Texas, who has sued the state of Texas and been subject to a suit from the state of Texas over an abortion that she sought under the state's new laws outlawing abortion, but for cases where it threatens the life or extreme bodily function of the mother. This case has gone to the Texas Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court has said, although they're not capable of making a medical decision, and they defer to doctors to determine when the life or some basic bodily ability has been compromised by continuing with a pregnancy, although they outsource that to doctors or a board of doctors and the judgment of doctors, in the case of Kate Clark, the doctor has not provided a realistic or rational explanation for why she is at risk under a pregnancy where her child has been diagnosed with trisonomy 18. Now, this story is being told in the mainstream media, New York Times and CNN, as though this is an example of Texas's egregious and extreme abortion laws. All of these cases are written and explained by headline. They're all twisted, and they're given to you in short, bite-sized chunks to ensure that you never fully, truly understand the facts of a case. This is the way it is whenever we have a national panic. When we look at examples of extremism, when we look at racist cops, we don't get the full case. We don't get the full details, the full facts of an incident. We get some screaming snippet of time translated into words in a headline or a freeze frame picture or 10 seconds of a three-minute video. This is the way it works when agenda is more important than facts, when it's more important than the case. In the last episode of the Will Cain podcast, we talked about the latest polling from the Wall Street Journal when it comes to Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. And we broke it down issue by issue, showing that Donald Trump held commanding leads 20-point leads on who would better handle inflation, who would better handle the economy, who would better handle the southern border. The only issue among roughly a dozen that tipped in the favor of Joe Biden was abortion. And abortion, in fact, it is generally believed, played a major role in the losses of the midterm elections of 2022, or the compromised vision of success, the falling short of the red wave for Republicans in 2022. Every poll indicates that Americans writ large want nothing to do with outlawing abortion. Now, we've talked about this from a conservative perspective, a pro-life perspective. It's important, I think, that we understand there has been at least a constitutional victory. Overturning Roe v. Wade was a massive win, not just for pro-life, but for constitutionalists and also for common sense. There was simply nothing in the Constitution, not in the penumbras, not in the ridiculous contortions of Supreme Court justices that created a right to privacy, a right to an abortion in the Constitution, and thus moving the fight through the process of federalism to the state level. And even then, as we've seen in many states, Republicans have suffered losses at state levels, special elections just recently in the past year, 2023. Republicans suffer losses in red states like Kansas or or Ohio, 
where abortion was what broke the polls against the GOP. But more than that, I think it's moved the fight for anyone who is pro-life to a fight in the culture for hearts and minds. But there are states who already were able to pass, essentially, outlaws on abortion, but for extreme circumstances. And one of those states is Texas. Now, in response to the case around Kate Clark, there are screaming headlines from the left-wing media. Even local media here in Texas, in Dallas, leads off with the story of Kate Clark and how she had to flee the state to receive an abortion when it was a medical necessity. But none of it really goes into the details of the case. The details are as follows, according to the Supreme Court. Kate Clark's baby, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing the name of this condition, has been diagnosed with trisomy 18. It is an imminent threat by most medical diagnosis to the, de- to the life of the baby. Some babies survive birth, and I've read reports can live up to a couple of years, but it almost always claims the life at some point of the child. It doesn't seem to be the case that this condition, I believe also called, is it Edwards' condition, doesn't represent a threat to the mother. Clark has made the case that it's also a threat to her bodily function and her ability to maintain pregnancies in the future, her fertility. She wants to have children. She has two already, and she wants to have more in the future, and it represents a threat to her fertility. Many pointed out this condition doesn't represent any greater threat to fertility than abortion represents to fertility. What more? The Texas Supreme Court has said the following, this is according to The Hill, from a life-threatening condition during pregnancy, raising the necessity for an abortion to save her life or prevent the impairment of a major bodily function. Those are the exceptions to the abortion law in Texas. Supreme Court says the following, the law leaves to physicians, not judges, both the discretion and the responsibility to exercise their reasonable medical judgment, given the unique facts and circumstances of each patient. The Hill reports, the court found that Cox, I'm sorry, I've said Clark, her name is Kate Cox. Cox's doctor, Domla Carson, asked a court to pre-authorize the abortion, yet she could not, or at least did not, attest to the court that Mrs. Cox's condition poses the risks the exception requires. So correction, I've said her name several times as Kate Clark. Her name is Kate Cox. And what you see here in this statement is her doctor asked the court for a pre-authorization of the abortion, even though the doctor had not yet attested to how this condition posed a risk to the exception requirements, which is either to a major bodily function, in this case, the argument being made fertility, or to the life of the mother. Then the court goes on to say, these laws reflect the policy choice that our legislature has made, and the courts must respect that choice. That's the role of any court, to interpret and execute the vision of the people through the legislature. But what happens is you don't hear anything about the request for a pre-authorization of abortion or the fact that this doctor hasn't yet made a coherent recommendation, medical recommendation, of how this particular situation, this particular facts, represents a threat to one of the exceptions of the Texas law. Instead, what you're given is this handmaid's tale version 
of the law in Texas. And that's always the case. You know, it's like every time we have a national reckoning when it comes to to a school shooting, it's 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 as though the other side through the influence of the NRA wants to implement, you know, some kind of dystopian future of everyone taking their guns to the grocery store and shooting each other down for food. If we have some national reckoning over race and everything is reduced to the movie, like we live in a modern day version of the color purple. And if if it's over abortion, we're made to believe through headlines and snippets that any state law or any restriction on abortion has reduced the country into the handmaid's tale, a book and a movie, by the way, which I never watched. When the truth is much more nuanced, but if you're explaining, you're losing so much so that Ann Coulter took to Twitter to say that Republicans are more interested not in protecting babies, but in cruelty to mothers. I don't know how Ann Coulter comes away with that from the facts of this particular case or Texas's particular law. But I do worry because of the ability of propaganda and to turn everything into the handmaid's tale to distort that what we're going to have in 2024 are series of these stories where if you're explaining you're losing, we never get the full details. It's already happening, for example, in Kentucky under the Kentucky law. And month after month, we're going to hear increasingly hysterical stories without full facts and full understanding that reduces this issue into the handmaid's tale. And it will wash away the things that are actually impacting our lives. It'll wash away inflation, wash away recession, wash away an invasion at our southern border, a porous open borders policy in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and California. It'll wash away a war in Ukraine, where Biden just told reporters just yesterday, hush, hush, amidst questions. I have something to announce. Another $200 million drawdown for Ukraine. All of this and more in what promises to be an insane year, 2024. An insane year with an insane presidential election. With one under investigation and impeachment and the other under indictment in multiple cases. Washed away under hysterics of a handmaid's tale version of 2024 abortion. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Dana Perino. This week on Perino on Politics, candidates travel across the country. They're trying to make connections with early state voters. They remain in the shadow of the current frontrunner, former President Trump, who has adopted somewhat of a courtroom campaign strategy. And it's working. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. Story number two. How about them, cowboys? And an update on Maui. I've spent the last couple of days checking back in with many of my friends on the ground in Maui, asking for an update on how things have gone. I've gotten requests from people, mostly on social media, not people that don't that listen to the Will Kane podcast, not not members of this community who understand how we've continued to look for the truth and at times update 
that tragic event in Maui. People asking me, what has happened? Has anybody kept up? What happened to all the missing children? There are no missing children. We've talked about that. We did an entire podcast doing away with conspiracies. But there is a tragedy still. As I understand, there are some lawsuits being filed against Hawaiian Electric looking at some point for accountability. But while that fight continues, what you're really looking at at this point is the ongoing and drug out tragedy of a mass moment of not just homelessness, but destruction of a community, Lahaina. You know, it's interesting in talking to people, you didn't just lose your home. You know, if you just lost your home, people could take you in, they could give you, you know, shelter, they could give you blankets, they could give you clothes, and all that's available, all but the shelter. But what everybody in Lahaina lost was their community. In a way, they lost their memories, and because of that, you were at risk of losing your identity. You know, you can't drive around and see the playground where you grew up. You can't see the bla- baseball fields where you, where you conducted Little League. You can't see this, the, the, the elementary school down on Front Street. You can't see the shopping, you know, mall or market or stretch where you hung out on weekends. You can't see the building where you worked. It's all gone. It's all gone. And what you're dealing with at a practical level, at, a, at an emotional level, you're dealing with that entire loss of community without a rational way or a coherent so far plan to reestablish it. And so there are reports of despair, just hopelessness. And although it's anecdotal, and I want to work to confirm this, I've heard reports of, of heightened numbers of suicides, which would make sense. Again, I need to work to confirm those. But I've been told by more than one, and it's it's a small island, so you know, rumor and word of mouth travels fast, and it needs to be confirmed. But I'm sure that I mean, it makes sense that would be the case. If there's heightened cases of suicide, and the, to the extent that there's a plan to get people back into their homes, it's years and years off. Right now, there are the next stage in Lahaina is to scrape the you know materials and chemicals that were sprayed over the burned out foundation and sites to keep the ashes from floating into the ocean or floating off into the wind so that has to be scraped and all the toxic ash underneath it scraped and you have to scrape the entire city essentially i don't know how many down inches down into the dirt to the earth that has to all be taken away. Uh, my understanding, again, is there's a short-term burial site outside of town, and then ultimately over time, there will be a longer-term burial site when it can all be shipped away, perhaps off-island. But then, and only then, maybe permitting to, to rebuild. And, and a model, which I would think is probably a more optimistic model because it's easier, just easier to get things done on the mainland, is the Paradise Fires in California. My understanding is those were in 2018, and there still is no full recovery some five years later. So the idea that everybody's going to be able to build back in six months or two years or five years might be, might be overly optimistic. So what you have is, you know, a population of 13,000 people, 80% of them displaced, looking for homes 
for the short term, the medium term, and I don't know how you define long term. And that has left people moving from hotel to hotel. Hotels and Airbnbs and condos have been opened up, but that's not a long-term solution unless you shut down the economy. Tourism. And that's a political fight inside of Maui. It's a massive fight. There's an activist population that basically wants to have all of that commandeered and tourism to stop. I mean, I understand that. Here you're looking at condo high-rises and hotel high-rises and saying these are for part-time owners or for tourists coming in and renting short-term. Is it, if they're not renting them, they're sitting empty? Mainland owners, but what are you going to do? Imminent domain, not allow them to rent them out? That's not constitutional. That's not American. What are you going to do? Shut down the economy? Well, then how do you live there? Go back to sustenance living? Like tourism, West Maui, I mean, what, we're probably talking 90 plus percent, approaching 100 percent of the economy. You shut down tourism, you have no job. So you live there to do what to get by, to raise your children. It's no good answers. There's not enough housing to move into out of the hotels. By the way, there is a protest on Kanapali Beach. Tents. People protesting, wanting to have the local population be able to stay in those hotels. And again, I get it, but no good solutions. If you take these away, it's almost like cutting your nose off to spite your face. But then on the other hand, even if you could overcome your constitutional barriers, where are they going to go? If you can't stay right there, there's not enough homes. Barely on that side of the island, definitely not. So people are living in back houses of in-laws. They're renting things, sometimes very expensively. Sometimes they get a deal because they know somebody. People have begun to leave the island. And this is the sad part, because it almost seems inevitable for a large part of the population. Maybe those that immigrated from the Philippines, maybe they go back. You know, what do they call Las Vegas, Nevada, the ninth island. There's people already I've heard moving to Las Vegas or moving to the big island. And if this does go on two to five years, do they ever come back? You know, life moves on. Your kids get integrated into a new school. You get a job. I don't think it's nefarious. I don't think there's some grand master plan. I think sometimes bad things happen. And maybe there's blame to be apportioned. Maybe there is. But there's no changing the fact that bad things have happened. And I feel like I've learned that in my life in some relationships, like, you know, really sad. You can lose a relationship and I don't know, maybe, maybe there's blame to be assessed or maybe there's not, but even if you could even get past any of that stuff, what does it help? Doesn't matter. The relationship is lost. Bad things happen. Wish it weren't the case. Sad for it, but it's also reality. This happened. Bad things happen. And you got to figure out a way to move forward. I'll be back in Maui in just a few weeks. I'm going to check in with everybody in person. But I'm going to be there during the college football playoff semifinal. So I'll be watching Texas versus Washington. I think I have some ideas of where I'm going to watch that in Maui. Um, but that's going to be a little bit surreal to be watching that. By the way, I'm on a heater. You ever know, everybody, has anybody known or acknowledged that? I'm on a heater, sports-wise. Texas Rangers World Series, Texas Longhorns in the college football semifinal, the Cowboys looking like the best team in the NFL. How good did Dak Prescott look against the Philadelphia Eagles? How good? How good has he looked recently? By the way, I, I mean, 
I've kind of held back on talking about Cowboys recently because I felt a little glutton. It's felt like, wow, Will's winning in all sports right now. And also, I didn't want to press my luck. And also, if I jumped the gun, as I'm apt to do when it comes to Dak Prescott, everybody would have jumped down my throat. And maybe I could wait and be like, see, told you so. But, or maybe I'm also a little bit once burned, twice shy. But Dak Prescott is the MVP of the NFL. I mean, if not Dak, who? Not Jalen Hurts, please. Did you watch that game? I don't think Patrick Mahomes. I don't think Lamar Jackson. It's Dak Prescott. He is the best. Right now, nobody, and I mean this, nobody is playing quarterback. And look, there's a difference between saying he's the best quarterback in the NFL, and right now, nobody is playing quarterback better than Dak Prescott. That's a fact. That's, that's just a fact. Now, I've said before, I have to remember it. First, I said he has to do it against good teams. He has. Now, Seahawks, Eagles, now he has a chance to do it against the Bills. And he has to do it in the playoffs when it matters. That's for sure. I get that. But Dak Prescott right now is the best quarterback. Right now is the best quarterback in the NFL. He gave some press conferences before that Eagles game where he talked about it's clicking. Whether or not that's because he's finally figured out Mike McCarthy's offense or he changed the offense after the bye week after getting smoked by the Niners. He changed the offense. He's like, I've been playing this position for eight years and it finally just clicked. I thought that's so fascinating. I'm doing the West Coast offense, one, two, three steps, throw it on time and everybody will be open. Don't hold it too long. Don't hitch. Don't hesitate. If it's not open, take it off, run. It's a beautiful thing to watch right now. But also, just doing something for a while, you know? I think there's a point at which we all think, I, I have experience and I've been doing this. And maybe you have, but you haven't even come close to reaching what it is when like everything opens up for you, whatever it is you do. And you got it. And you see the game. You know what I mean? Tom Brady obviously got there, and he was healthy enough to get there later in life. That's been the trick in football. you got to stay healthy enough to play long enough for it sort of to like every cloud depart. And now you're in the Matrix, and you can see everything. That's happening with Dak right now. He's in the Matrix. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. How about those Cowboys? But I will be in Maui watching the Texas Longhorns in the college football semifinal. And I want to end this update on Maui with what I hope and think is is at least somewhat uplifting news when bad things happen. We raised $2.5 million, you and I together, to help out people. I've told you in the past, we're doing $12,000 grants to up to over 200 families. That adds up, I believe, just off the top of my head, something like 210, 215 different people who have lost homes in Lahaina, $12,000. I mean, it's not going to save them, but I think it helps. And we're trying to get some more out before Christmas because currently we have, we have, we have granted, I believe it's between 140 and 145, $12,000 grants. So we have about 70 to go in Lahaina, people who lost everything working with churches, working with more connections. And as I promised everybody, I'm involved in looking over every single one of these, making sure they get into hands of people who need it. So we are essentially two-thirds of the way there, and I would love to get it all out soon to people that need it. And maybe you can maybe make a little bit merrier Christmas in Maui. Story number three. 
Harvard stands by anti-Semitism. It stands by tribal power. Harvard stands by its president, Claudine Gay. With the support of the Harvard Alumni Association, the Black Student Union, almost every professor at Harvard, and, and the current student body, Claudine Gay has been retained as the president at Harvard. This after her horrific performance in front of Congress that led to the resignation of the University of Pennsylvania's president, Liz McGill. What Harvard has said here is in essence, something that we have always known in the short and the long term as people. In the short term, it is not hypocrisy. It is hierarchy. The double standard is the point. But understanding that it is hierarchy and not hypocrisy is only part of the understanding. What Harvard has reinforced is that as much as we dress up everything, the nature of man, into words and principles and laws, it often is, and more often than not, resorts back to just tribal power and violence. Here's what I mean. You know, you ever notice that um, words over time seem to have become more and more vague, less specific? During Thanksgiving, we were all sitting around one night and um, somebody said, "Uh, adults, that's stupid. And another adult, there was like 30 people at our Thanksgiving, said, we don't use the S word. Now, this adult has children, young children. But weirdly, the children weren't in the room. And it did deserve some clarification. What's the S word? Stupid. We don't use stupid. It's Interesting how we start to put words out of bounds. I was talking about this with a friend of mine over breakfast. Think about just that. Words we've used to describe stupid, mental incapability, slow. Almost every word that has become a pejorative, a slur, started out not just acceptable, but clinical. Like moron was a clinical term. I believe idiot was a medical term. Now, these are insults. They're derogatory. You know, obviously, retarded has become a word that went from an accurate description of a situation to a playground insult to I'm probably making a few people listen and they're going, whoa, did he just say that? Or am, I, am I now supposed to say the R word? So that you have to guess at my meaning. And that's the whole point. We are losing because of a movement away from specificity into vagueness, meaning in words. And if you lose meaning in words, you reduce people to grunts and power and violence. It doesn't stop at the R word, right? Slow. Also, a little bit of a record scratch. He's slow. No, we moved to special needs. But I was told, actually, special needs within the community is is we're now walking away from special needs. Now we're using terms like learning differences. Well, what is the difference? He's slower than everyone else. We don't know what anybody means anymore. Learning differences. What? Like auditory versus visual? We're moving not just in an attempt to 
you know, theoretically and on its face be more empathetic and kind. But we're moving towards this incapability of understanding. And it leads us only in one direction. Like you have thoughts and you have feelings. And if you can't translate that into words that other people understand, then we're like apes. You know, we grunt at one another. We bark. That's how my dog communicates to other dogs on the street. And the more these words get blurry, you know, what what does one mean? And we just put more in word, words. You ever notice, like, I had a friend say to me, hey, Will, did you get any pushback for using the analogy of the totem pole in the last episode when you talked about, you know, the hierarchy of victimhood at places like Penn and Harvard? And I said, well, why would I get pushback? What's wrong with totem pole? Cultural appropriation? I don't, I don't, what am I supposed to say? You know? I joke about this with Rachel Campos. Stuff. You ever notice how many people think the word Mexican is pejorative? Mexican is a nationality. You know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey. I mean, why isn't... If you think that someone should find some term softer than Mexican to describe somebody from Mexico. Explain to me why you're not reaching and searching for a softer term than Canadian to describe somebody from Canada. This is like the whole like tennis guerrilla warfare moment, right? If you heard that tennis announcer describe a sports tactic as guerrilla warfare, and you thought because it was Venus Williams it was racist, I think you've told me more about your deep, dark inner thoughts than the G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A version of guerrilla tactics. What do you mean there's two versions of that word? You can't even use that other word around a black person. Why? What's the connection? But for the deep, dirty thought in your mind. But because we have to live in this world of like guessing each other's feelings, we continue to put more words outside the bounds. Before you know, we have no words of specificity to communicate. We're just left with dragging our knuckles, banging some rocks together, some hoops and hollers and guts and grunts. And we're left not just with the ability, the inability to understand, but we're left with the loss of communication, the base elements of tribal power, violence. Okay, let me tie this back to Harvard. You know, the mark of civilization is the ability to communicate, one of them. It is to develop self, um, self-interest self over the long term, self-sacrifice over the short term principles, like free speech. Like, I hate what you have to say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That's a principle that gets beyond my base level instincts and emotions or processes. You know, like due process, you have to go through these processes to ensure justice. Otherwise, I'd, I'd like to just take the child molester out back and end this. You know, for example, right now in Iowa, there is at Christmas in the state capitol a shrine to Satan. I'm serious. Like, I'm dead serious. Right now, there's a shrine to Satan at the Iowa state capitol. Why? Well, because of the principle of freedom of religion. Apparently, the satanic, you know, whatever, Boys Club of Iowa 
fill out the right paperwork, ran through the right permits, set up this satanic. It's got candles. It's got a goat head. It's got a red cloak. You know, and under the banner of principles like, you know, the First Amendment, protection of religious freedom. In stands this. Now, I don't know. Is that what our founders envisioned with the First Amendment? Maybe. But, you know, do I think that it would be righteous if if I were the governor of Iowa, I would go in, I'm telling you, and I'd tear that damn thing down with my own hands. I'd tip it over and I'd do away with the due process. And I'd want to do that. And you know why? Because I'd be in the right. And that's trial of power. And I don't want to explain myself. Okay. It's self-evident. I'm taking down your satanic memorial shrine inside the state capitol. But we have these things so that we don't elect the most benevolent. We're not forced into a situation where we're always having to elect the most benevolent dictator, or we don't have these knuckle-dragging violent fights for tribal power. But that's exactly where we're headed and what's being preached and taught at Harvard. By rehiring or neglecting to fire, by retaining Claudine Gay, what they're doing is saying there is a double standard. Back to the totem pole. The victim can say anything about the oppressor, but the oppressor speech can be censored if it hurts the victim. In fact, it's worse than that. The oppressor's words are literal violence to the victim. You've heard that. Threatens my safety. Words can be violence. But in reverse, literal violence from the victim is protected under speech against the oppressor. You know, this is why you see them equivocating about what happened on October 7th in Israel, because they perceive the victim to be the Palestinian and his actions justifiable. So you've got your totem pole, you've got your tribal alliances, you've got your fights for power, you've got your inability to communicate because it's not necessary. We've dressed society up in these principles, but they are often one way. And what Harvard has now re-illustrated and rededicated itself to is the idea that it does not stand for principles. It's not for free speech. That's absurd on its face. We know that about Harvard. It's not for processes. What once I think their mantra was veritas, truth, you know, it's all the things that our founders put such effort into. It's not for those, like it's not for due process. It's for tribal power communicated through grunts, perceived and understood only through the prism of winning. And Harvard says we win. Now, this is where I think they're wrong. Keep trying that. Keep pushing us towards this inevitable violence, this tribal dynamic, this fight for power. And you will find out when it comes to brute force where actual power rests in the United States of America. Might want to redouble our efforts to dedication to processes and principles as we see regression at places like Harvard. That's going to do it for me today here on the Will Kane Podcast. I will see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and Amazon Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.